This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. It is great to be here with you today, Bridgeway. My name is Pastor Ron. I want to welcome you here as well as those of you who are joining us at Church Online Church at Home. If you're here or maybe this is the first time at Bridgeway, uh, we are right in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit. We're looking at this idea of how God comes alongside of us as our comforter and counselor and intercessor. I'm really excited uh, to jump into the word this morning. And I'll just tell you right at the beginning of the message, kind of the big idea today, sort of the one thought that I want you to take away is that the world's a mess, right? You didn't have to get up this morning and come to church to know that. Things are not perfect out there, right? Can I get an amen for that this morning? It's not perfect. Um, In fact, to get you thinking about this idea, I want to take you as close as I possibly can to perfect, but I'm going to disappoint you. I'll take you as close as I can, and I'll do it this way. How many of you, uh, you like dogs? How many of you like dogs? How many of you like dogs better than cats, right? You're in the right church. You're in the right place. You're in the right place here this morning. Well, uh, Sean and I, we don't have any grandkids, but I want to introduce you to my grand dog. I want you to meet Moger. Take a look at Moger. Isn't he cute? He is such a good boy. Uh, He is Amory and Kenley's dog. They said we don't have any grandkids yet. We're fine with that. They're good with that. But we love Moger. Moger's a great dog. Uh, He is wicked smart, like incredibly off the charts, intelligent, super obedient for Kenley, his master. And he'll come over to our house and he'll run around with our dog, Luca. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of my dog, I got a tiny little excuse for a dog. He's real tiny. And he comes over, and the biggest difference between Moger and Luca is, well, Moger's smart. I think I already said that. Luca is not so smart. And you see this, and Moger, he's got this, I don't know, he's got this kind of like personality that's come out more recently. And not only personality, but you might be looking at this picture, and I'm here to tell you this morning, not everything's right in the world. Not everything is right on Moger's head. Look at his ears. You know, you're kind of looking at this like, did he see a squirrel or something? He's got like one ear up, one ear down. And uh, I would just simply tell you, no, this is how Moger is. Like, all the time. This is how he rolls. It's just always one ear up, one ear down. It's kind of like one ear is like, did I hear treat? Is someone taking me to the dog park? Am I going to go play? And then the other is like, I'll chill. I'll lay on the blanket. Whatever you say, master. And he's like this all the time. Just like, I'm ready to party. I'm ready to go. And yeah, I can chill too. Now, I told you I was going to disappoint you because this is as cute as it gets this morning. And Sean and I would tell you, we think Moger is perfect exactly the way he is. But when we're talking about the world, the things that we see, they're sort of like that. It's kind of peculiar. It's a little odd out there. One ear up, one ear down. And it's not nearly as cute as Moger. In fact, you look at the world today and you kind of wonder, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through each day, each news cycle, dare I say, next election, right? Like all these things, they kind of feel like one ear up and one ear down. And in fact, I'll just give you the title of my message this morning. And what I want to talk about, I'll steal an old line uh, from a song. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I got to tell you, I think R.E.M. had it right. Because as followers of Christ, the sooner we can come to kind of an understanding that the world is winding down, that there's something to be said for the fact that things are going to end as we know it. In fact, we're closer today than we were 
yesterday. Uh, scientists call this the biotic crisis. This probably isn't a newsflash for you. You probably could imagine things are winding down, that big giant fireball in the sky that we see. Yeah, scientists say it may have two billion years left. Or this whole thing could end in a nuclear event in a couple of months, right? I mean, that's kind of how things operate. The lights will eventually go out. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in fact, you need to know this morning, every world religion believes that the world is going to end. Uh, this shouldn't surprise you. The only ones who don't think this, I mean, I think even atheists believe this. Everyone does. Uh, Christianity has a very hopeful view on it, but it gets really bad before it gets any better. In fact, you read the end times and there's, there's false prophets, there's an antichrist, there's a rider on a beast. I mean, there's all these sort of things. And then Jesus returns. But every world religion, you study Islam, they believe that there's an end time. There will be a last judgment, they call it. Uh, Buddhism, which is more of a moral religion, believes that the end times will be signaled by a decline in morality. We might already be there, right? Like, we could be there already. Hinduism believes that there's an age of darkness where there'll be no light. In fact, they believe that the oceans will boil, a meteor will collide, and human existence will become extinct. Cheery thoughts this on time as the lights go out this morning. <laughs> the lights are going out in more ways than one this morning. And i got to tell you, the sooner you can kind of come to understand this as a Christian, the better it is for your soul. And that's why I'm so glad you're here, because we're studying this idea of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not a science. It's going to be, it's going to be one of those days. Just going to be, I can tell you now. Holy Spirit is not a science experiment. In fact, the Holy Spirit is someone uh, that invites us into a relationship. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, we are studying this all from the perspective and the words found in Romans chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be here next week as well. As you're kind of finding your way, I'll give you a little bit of background. In fact, talking about the Holy Spirit, um, this is a particular line of reasoning in Christian thought. This is called uh, pneumatology. They tell you in seminary to not use big words on your congregation, but I believe you can handle it. You're smart people. Uh, pneuma just means the spirit, and ology means the study. So this morning, you're in a, a pneumatology course. You're studying what the Holy Spirit does, and specifically, what I want you to look at this morning is what the Holy Spirit does for you, what he does for you in your life. And Romans 8 is our guide. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Romans, it is written by a guy named Paul. Um, Paul is, is actually spending so much of his time in this book laying out kind of a theology of sin and how that sin becomes paid for and uh, justified in Christ. In fact, Romans is an amazing read. If you were to ask me this afternoon while we're in the square practicing our trick shots, if you were to say, Pastor, what's one chapter in the Bible I should know? I would say right here, Romans chapter 8. It's profound, it's deep, um, it is also very encouraging in what the Spirit of God does for you as a follower. In fact, in the first seven chapters of Romans, uh, all this theology about sin, Paul doesn't even mention the Holy Spirit. I think he mentions like the Spirit twice. And then in Romans 8, he's making this grand shift in his thinking and his theology of how God works among us. And he works among us as this mysterious third person in the Trinity, the Spirit of God. Um, a couple people, uh, people have said many things about the book of Romans. One of my favorite quotes is by the great reformer Martin Luther. He said, when it comes to Romans, it can never be read or pondered too much. 
And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I, I love that imagery. It's like Romans is sort of like this food, this nourishment for your soul. It should make you, when you read it this morning, say, yum, I want more of this. I, I want more of these good and exciting words of what the Spirit of God does. So, this is our topic. In a messed up, screwed up world, one year up, one year down, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? We're going to read Romans 8. And similar to last week, it's very thick reading, very difficult language. I'm going to read verses 22 through 28, and then we're going to go back up and we're going to break it down kind of verse by verse. So Romans 8, starting in verse 22. Paul writes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Let me just pause there for a second. As you read through this this morning, the key word today is the word groaning. I want you to watch for this word and see how it's being referenced by Paul. So the first reference, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, so here's the problem. The world's a mess but praise God, we have the spirit inside of us. And there's this key word groans or groaning. Let's go back to the first time it's mentioned. It's mentioned in verse 22. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. And then he makes this analogy. He says it's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. All right, ladies, moms, I'm going to need your help for a moment here. I'm going to try to in my lane. Uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father, uh, but I'm not a mom. I've never had a child. I've been at the hospital. I've witnessed all five of my children coming into the world. Let me just ask, ladies, a little confirmation. Is childbirth painful? Yes or no? Yeah, someone want to come up, give testimony. You can preach the rest of the message, right? Like painful, right? It's painful. In fact, I witnessed all five of the births of my children and they tell us as the husbands, we play a really important role, right? Uh, we're to tell her to do what she's been doing her entire life, right? Breathe, sweetie. <laughs> right? Like, how helpful is that, right? I think my wife wanted to take the IV cord out of her hand and strangle me with it, right? She was like, I know how to do that already. Like, I needed an epidural, seeing her in so much pain, right? And you see this, and it's, this is painful, right? And it's saying that this is how creation appears. Creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. We don't often talk about this. We talk about our own pain, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But have you ever thought about the pain of our world, of creation, of the universe, of planet Earth? I think as a Christian, at a bare minimum, we should acknowledge this creation that's groaning. And I think certainly more than that, we should we should look at ways in which we can protect our creation and care for the creation that God's given us. Some of you this morning, you're like, 
Yes, preach it, pastor. And others of you are like, oh, come on. I don't need another talk on recycling and tree hugging and driving an electric vehicle. Some of you are like, ah, I don't need that. Well, let me just, just, just go with me for a moment on this. In fact, all this week I was thinking about it. My mind kept coming back to the ways in which we see our world kind of groaning right now. In fact, I'll give you a few examples. Um, have you been paying attention to the war in the Ukraine, Russia invading Ukraine? I could spend my entire message talking about the human devastation and the groaning of, of human lives being lost. But have you thought about this from just the way this impacts the earth? I was reading, and I was reading at, at like, really good level, like, not just, you got to be careful what you read on the internet, but source after source kept confirming that there's been so much damage in this part of our world. In fact, um, by satellite images, they've counted some 37,000 fires that are destroying the fields in the Ukraine. Uh, something like 3,000 acres have been destroyed. Uh, this particular area of land is home to about 20 different species, animals, and insects that they believe are either extinct or on the verge of extinction because of just the constant war and devastation to the land around it. Not only that, but um, I had to look on a map because uh, I didn't realize um, how close Chernobyl was to the capital of the Ukraine, Kiev. It's just due north of Kiev. And we've already lived through that crisis, right? And yet, there's great concern because of just the constant shelling of the land, this dormant nuclear site uh, being sort of reenacted, having to worry about radioactivity uh, in this site just because the ground is being disturbed constantly because of war. I, I, think, I think it's really easy to say that creation is groaning in that part of our world right now. And it's not just there. In fact, uh, you know this even in your own heart. In fact, um, think about it. When you go on vacation, where do you try to go? <laughs> try to go to someplace nice, right? Or maybe it's someplace warm, and, and you'll travel to someplace nice and warm, and, and you'll sit on that white sand beach. You'll put your toes in the beautiful blue water, right? And then, and then you get stung by a bee, right? <laughs> like, creation is still groaning. You can't escape it. In fact, Sean and I, a number of years ago, we went to Jamaica, and we had a beautiful resort we stayed at. It was with some friends, and it was a great time, but I'll I'll never forget, in fact, overshadowing the time at the resort was the drive from the airport uh, through the city of Kingston, and I would not recommend going there. In fact, I believe it's still the highest uh, per capita rate for murder, and you just drive through there, and it's dangerous, and it's, it looks like destruction. Creation groans in that part of the world. And just again, so that you can see it's not just someplace else, we have it here as well, and I'm certainly not at all trying to be political this morning. I'm just trying to be truthful because I don't believe we've actually done a great job as Christians with this. In fact, very close to home, very close to Michigan, is uh, the train that derailed in East Palestine. And I think this week, I wasn't even really paying attention to the news, but there was another train in Alabama. It just seems like trains keep like riding off the rails, don't they? And again, we could talk all morning long about the devastation and the danger and the threat to human life and existence. But this morning, I just, I just want you to kind of take these images in and I want you to see how creation groans. It groans. And then Paul continues. He, he kind of starts off with this groaning of creation and he goes to where you naturally would go with this. He says in the next verse, in verse 23, 
He says, not only does creation groan, but he says, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. And I would say that we don't even just groan inwardly. Sometimes we, we can't contain it. We can't keep it inside. We, uh, we just groan outwardly. We look at what's going on in the world, and then we look at what's happening in human life and in our own lives, and we, we can't contain it. We just groan inwardly. There's something about our culture today that almost like frowns upon this. You know, like real men don't cry and, you know, kind of this way in which we suppress, suppress emotions. But the truth is, and in fact, all throughout time, uh, Christians have, have kind of led the way in, in being acknowledgers of saying, you know what, there's, there's pain and it, and it hurts. It isn't just to be pushed to the side. In fact, there's a whole book in your Bible called Lamentations, which is really about corporate, about being a church and a community that, that says these things matter and they're heavy and I'm willing to be vulnerable and to grieve and to groan with the universe, with people around me. So let's just do this this morning, right? I mean, let's just do this. Let's just, it says that we groan. So why don't we just groan for a minute? Kind of a, a, just a group experiment. You're all looking at me crazy, right? Well, you think that's, lights are going to go off again. Just wait, you know, something's going to happen, right? Something's going to happen. So just think of something that's just kind of like saddening or frustrating. Maybe, maybe it's a mess that you're involved in. Ah, and you just groan. Go ahead and just let it out this morning. Ah, you just groan. Maybe it's something your kids did. Ah, it's a mess. You're, maybe it's a mess that your husband made, right? Like, ah, you just groan inwardly. There's no, like, holding it back. It's actually good for us to do that. There's something that's just not right about the world yet. And this is where the Spirit begins to kind of enlighten and, and really reveal to us this pain and this suffering. In fact, when you look at pain and suffering, it's interesting because sometimes there's pain and suffering, there's groaning because of, of things that other people do. And then sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We groan because of things we do to ourselves, kind of self-inflicted pain and suffering. In fact, uh, many of you know I'm, a, I'm just a huge fan of running. I, I love running. I don't get to maybe run as fast or as far as I used to. All runners say the same thing. There's a day I will no longer run, but today is not that day. And, and there will be a day, but for now I'm going to continue my plod. And, and yet I, I saw some things in the news that just made me grown. In fact, let me introduce you to two people. The first, his name is Ben, Ben Patchiv, 18-year-old young man, set a record in a half marathon, 13.1 miles. He ran those 13.1 miles in one hour and 11 minutes, which isn't really that incredible. It's a five-minute pace, five-minute, 30-second per mile pace. That's fast, don't get me wrong, but people have gone much faster than that. But the thing I want to show you is, do you see his feet? Those are not Nikes that he's wearing, right? Those are Crocs in sport mode, I assume. And Ben says he can actually run up to 2,000 miles on a pair of Crocs. Like, the shoe industry does not want this to get out. But he ran this half marathon. My knees just hurt looking at this guy run. Like, can you? only an 18-year-old could do this, right? On the other extreme, let me introduce you to another guy. His name is Sam Hammond. He's also a runner also set a record in the half marathon, 13.1 miles. He ran it more at my pace, about a nine-minute mile pace, two hours and four minutes. But oh yeah, he had this refrigerator on his back, uh, and it's not empty. 57-pound <laughs> fridge on his back. What a nut job, right? Like, I mean, just, can we get an amen? Like, what a crazy person. Ran it in like nine-minute mile pace. Again, my knees hurt watching this. 
And this is my point. We sometimes do this to ourselves. We strap burdens. We, we go through life with kind of a minimalist approach. And certainly pain is brought to us, but pain is often sort of created by us. And it's important, and that could be a message in and of itself to kind of analyze where the pain comes from. But I think the solution side of where I want to get this morning and where the Spirit really helps is when we start to begin to understand, what do we do with our pain? I feel like over the years, 20 years of being a pastor, I've spent a fair amount of time analyzing my own pain and then being a student of the pain of others. And I've noticed something, that pain can be an incredible teacher. It's not a friend that you want forever, but it can teach you some amazing lessons. And I've observed that some people in pain, they, they really learn from it. And they grow and they develop and, and they kind of become stronger because of it. And then other people, the pain sort of just breaks them. And I think when it breaks them, it's because of one of three things. In fact, uh, next slide kind of illustrates what we do with our pain. I, I would kind of venture and offer this idea that these are unhealthy ways to deal with our pain. And, and the first is, is a lot of people are masters at just stuffing it. <laughs> you know, they just kind of just kind of hide it, bury it, run it under the rug, whatever they got to do, just kind of stuff and bottle the pain. And this will not only do nothing for the pain, but it will actually cause a lot of other problems, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. In fact, um, stress, when it just continues to be suppressed, is sort of a ticking time bomb. It's like taking stress and just kind of putting it in a pressure cooker and not letting it go. And stress in and of itself isn't bad. Stress actually is needed in life. It's, it's when stress goes unrelieved that we have problems. Many people, they, they stuff it. If that doesn't work, oftentimes people will medicate their pain. They will just try to numb the pain they feel, uh, and they'll do whatever it takes. Addiction of choice, right? When you think about alcohol, great suppressor, great number. But that has its limits and has its own set of side effects. In fact, another thing I was just thinking this week is, have you noticed how we just keep legalizing substances? And we just keep legalizing things. And, and why is that? Well, it's because we've, we've run out of ways to medicate. And so, well, let's just, let's just legalize marijuana. And, and then where do you draw the line? Where does that stop? Where does it go from there? Because we'll continue to have this appetite and this need to self-medicate. It does nothing to actually relieve, to remove the pain. It just is a Band-Aid. And then finally, the third and maybe unhealthy way is, is just we can take our pain and we can sort of project it on others. We can take our bad day and make it everybody else's bad day. We can take the issues we're going through and make sure everybody else knows why we're the way we are. And while it might explain behavior, it certainly doesn't excuse behavior. And I also wouldn't at all mean that you shouldn't share your pain with others. The church is, is to be the place where we carry each other's burdens. But again, there are limits. There, there are limits to the amount of pain that another person or even a small group or even even a church in and of itself can carry for people. In fact, that's why all of this leads to what Paul has to say next. Notice there's this groaning of creation, there's this groaning of ourselves, and then Paul kind of drops the bomb on the Holy Spirit. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There's groans again. There's this idea of groaning, but it looks so different when the Holy Spirit does it. In fact, the Spirit isn't just groaning in sympathy. It's groaning in kind of this relation of, I can go through this with you. It's our helper in a time of weakness. We don't even know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Spirit comes alongside. In fact, 
a really smart guy over at Kelvin Seminary, a guy by the name of Cornelius Planninga, helped me out with this a number of years ago. He said the Holy Spirit is like a dance partner. And you don't have to get the moves right. You just put your feet right on top of the Holy Spirit's feet. And he'll dance through the problems of life with you. This amazing dance that we can have with the Spirit. And it doesn't even require that you figure it out or know the next move. You just go along for the dance with the Spirit of God. Again, I'll go back to the moms in the room for just a minute. Moms, you can help me out with this. Because this idea of groaning and then interpreting these groans, it's a lot like a mother with a child, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, a child cries, and a mother can hear that cry all the way across a football field, right? A father can't hear anything. What, did the fridge open? You know, like, we, we don't hear anything unless it's, you know, related to us. And a child cries, and the mother of that child will know. That cry, uh, that means the baby is hungry. <laughs> oh, that cry, that's different. That, that means the baby is wet. Go change it. You know, oh, that cry, that, that's colic. I was a colicky baby. I was terrible for my mom. Like, just constantly fussy. A mother knows how to interpret that cry. And that's what the Spirit of God does, is it comes alongside and it knows how to interpret all of our pain. A number of years ago, in fact, it was right when I kind of started off into ministry, uh, both Sean and I, we uh, lost our best friends a couple years apart uh, due to tragedy. Sean's best friend, her name was Linda, uh, died in a snowmobile accident. And we were with them. We were actually uh, together with these other couples. We kind of have a couple's weekend snowmobiling together. And Sean and I had to come back because we had responsibilities on Sunday morning. And we came back, but that morning they went snowmobiling without us, and Linda crashed and essentially died in the woods. And it was traumatic trying to console myself and my wife and my friends and my kids and just seeing this intense level of pain and suffering like I've never felt before. And then a few years later, we're camping with another couple friends, and this friend was my best friend, Tim. And he uh, had just finished a bike ride, and we were kind of sitting around a picnic table, and he slumped over, had a heart attack, and died. I mean, like, instantly, he was gone. It wasn't revivable. And again, that feeling of pain, trying to comfort my own heart and my wife. And at that time, we had four kids that were there camping with us and his wife and his four kids and just feeling like this pain is too much. And if you've ever been there, all I can say is it's hard to describe how the Spirit of God knows when you can't take anymore. And that's how I would describe that moment for both Sean and I, going through that and just feeling that pain and yet also feeling that immense level of comfort, the Spirit of God that just came alongside of us. And this took, it just took time and took years to work through. But looking back on it and just feeling so grateful, I couldn't imagine going through these experiences without God a part of my life. And this is what he's saying in this verse. He says there's really this work. These are the two things that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is your helper and your intercessor. And the beautiful part about this is you don't have to get it right. You don't have to say a certain amount of words. You don't have to be a certain way. It says that the Spirit will intercede for you. This is the great news of walking with God. You have the Spirit no matter what you go through. Certainly, if you go through a difficult moment, you know, call your friends, call your family, call your church, call your pastor. But greater than all of those is this Spirit of God that will help you and intercede for you. And you don't even need to know how to pray. In fact, all you got to do is groan. And the Spirit of God can interpret your pain and come alongside of you and give you great comfort. 
I wanted to kind of leave you on this note. In fact, I want to read one more verse. And this should be a verse that really leads us into a time of celebration. In fact, I'm going to call the, uh, the band to come up and to lead us now. And I want to read this last verse for you because this is my hope with what you will do the, with this message this week. And it's really what Paul says God is doing in all of this pain and all the suffering. It's verse 28. He says that, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And you think of the, the pain and the difficulty that you go through, and it's all part of this in all things. In all things. You could kind of translate as that as stuff, right? In life, stuff is going to happen. Stuff is going to happen, and you're going to feel isolated. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel betrayed. And it's in that moment you're going to have to choose. You're going to choose to believe that God is actually at work for your good, for the good of those who love him. doesn't mean that everything's going to work out the way you want or the way you expect, but you need to trust and believe in all that stuff and all those things that God is at work. I want to invite you just in this moment just to, just to spend some time just seeking God, seeking the Spirit of God. Maybe your prayer this morning is when you go through this week and you feel criticized or you feel lonely or you feel like no one is there for you, you just start to ask, God, God what is this pain for Holy Spirit, help me, help me to see how you're at work in my life. That's my hope, and that's my prayer. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, we just pause, and while we read that the whole earth is groaning, we also know that the whole earth is full of your glory. Creation knows it. Our soul knows it. In just a moment, we're going to sing to you out of the depth of what you've placed inside of us, which is this appreciation and this immense love for what you do in our hearts. So God, I just want to pray over our community this morning that your spirit would come. Spirit, have your way in our lives, in the difficult and challenging moments, in those moments where we have the spiritual eyes and ask deep into our souls, God, how are you at work for me in this moment? It doesn't feel like it. It feels like one ear up, one ear down. And yet it's in those moments, God, where we need to trust and to follow you deeper. God, I pray that and I ask you to do that in our church and in each of our lives. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.